Hello, plant friends. Here we are, episode 50 of the Plant Proof Podcast. Wow, I cannot believe we are at 50. That has gone so fast. I started this show around March 2018. And to be honest, it's one of the best decisions I think I've ever made. The inspiration and knowledge I've personally gained from each episode has really changed who I am. It's been a truly transformative experience to throw myself into the deep end and jump outside of my comfort zone to make myself vulnerable, something that I encourage anyone out there to embark on because that's where the real personal growth takes place. Before I jump into this episode, the episode where I jump onto the other side of the conversation and share parts of my story, I want to share some exciting news. You may have heard of the Australian magazine Nourish. Well, this magazine went 100% plant-based in the past year. And I am humbled to say I am now a contributor for them. So inside the magazine, you may find articles or recipes written from myself between all of the amazing plant-based recipes and content that this magazine creates every month. Whenever the magazine arrives on my doorstep, I literally binge read the entire thing. It's full of practical tips, great recipes, and more. All stuff that even I, who live and breathe this lifestyle, find super useful. It's also a great gift. I regularly sneak a copy into the hands of someone I know that's ready to explore the world of animal-free meals and products, but just isn't sure where to start. Anyway, check them out, nourishmagazine.com.au. It's my favorite magazine, and I'm stoked to be collaborating with them and to be able to contribute to their content. So this episode, my story with good friend Will Dalton handling the questions. Sounds so serious. I'm not going to lie, I had reservations doing this episode. From day one, Plant Proof has been around building a community that together goes on a journey to becoming more conscious and more inspired. It's not about me. It's far greater than that. And I wanted that to be clear through the content I shared. Naturally, though, I understand that if I'm putting myself out there as a thought leader in this space, if that's what you call it, the incredible members of this community, you guys, will want to know more about myself, my past, and what's shaped me. What experiences I've had that have seen me land in this place where we are now, where we are today. For the past decade and a bit of my life, I feel that I've been somewhat defined by the business success that I've had. But that's not who I am. It's what I've done. To me, from day one of building my own businesses, the term entrepreneur has never felt right. You see, I associate the word entrepreneur with profits, balance sheets, flashy cars, flashy events, and ego. That's how I see it. Almost a label of superiority, merely through pursuing an income that is potentially greater than a nine-to-five job. An income that allows the list of your tangibles to grow, which then define you rather than letting your true self your true beliefs and core values 
define you. Don't get me wrong, like most of us, I enjoy the nice things in life. But these tangibles or ways to impress society have never been driving factors. They've never been the reason that I've aimed to be the hardest working person in the room. The biggest reason I pursued business is so I could have more freedom to think about what I truly wanted to do with my life and more freedom to pursue a true purpose. So for me, jumping out of my early, more structured career offered me with a pathway where I was able to slowly discover who I truly was and arrive in this place where I am today, where I am so comfortable in myself and place in this world that I can serve others. It's for this reason that Will and I didn't deep dive into business and strategy too much. It wasn't planned, but naturally the conversation explored other areas of my life. Needless to say, I'm thinking that every 50 episodes, I would jump back onto the other side of this conversation and share more about myself, whether that be my past or what experiences I've had between now and then. Episode 100, 150, 200, etc. As long as the show is around, that is something that I will commit to. I hope you enjoy this episode and straight after it, I look forward to finishing with a little recap from myself to close it out. Will Dalton, welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Mate, I'm, mm. I'm stoked that you put your hand up to to jump onto the microphone and, and, and ask me a bunch of questions today. Yeah, I'm happy to happy to help. Looking forward to hearing more about you and learning more about you that I don't even know myself. <laughs> now, before we, we jump into that yep. and you firing questions at me, yeah. how did you start your day today down at Bondi? Today, um, woke up at about five. Did my meditation, do I meditate for about 20 minutes, then did a little gratitude ritual and then text message with you for a while about this morning's meeting. Then went down, did about four laps soft sand running, had a dip, caught up with a friend. Pretty much here we are. Exercise, meditation. These are these are things that are in your book, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love, look, I've, I've, as, as you know, I've been working for the last couple of years on a book titled Enlightened Entrepreneur. So there are 12 habits that you learn over 12 months and they're all designed to increase your baseline level of happiness from the inside out. So you're less susceptible to what's happening in the world in front of your eyes and you're generating the happiness internally. Stuff, you know, you already know about. And stuff that we speak about. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Gratitude, being grateful for what we have. And it's stuff, what I like is it's your living proof of that. You, You practice it daily. I do. I try. I try. I try to. I try to. You know, walk the talk, so to speak. And I'm looking forward to to sharing your story in a bit more depth one day. Hopefully, if listeners like you after today, which is hopefully, maybe it's <laughs> unlikely. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. See what uh, happens. So, what, what are we? What are we doing? How are we going to run today? Because we have, we have, um, we've, we've exchanged well, a few text messages. Yeah. So, I, I think. I mean, the thing is, it sounds to me you're you're normally in the spot that I'm in. By interviewing others, and it sounds like your audience have been asking you various questions about how you got to be doing what you're doing, etc. So I thought, you know, from our discussions, that this could be a good way for me to kind of represent your audience, asking you questions, and just see where we go with it. 
Perfect. What do you, what do you think about yeah, that? Let's dive into it. Okay. I'm all yours. Just tell us, where did you grow up? Where, where did, you, you're Obviously, you're Australia, yeah. but that's a given by your accent. Well, I know you can do different accents. <laughs> um, so you, you, you grew up in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. I, I get told I have a very Australian accent, and it's it's uh, it, I mean, a real Australian yeah. accent like this. That's a, that's a real that's a real Australian accent. I think funny, you got a real funny story. I was traveling in South America, mm-hmm. third year of of university. I was studying physiotherapy, and I structured at that stage. We had what they call clinicals, and you need to go and do five or six weeks working in hospital or private practice, mm-hmm. and you, it's like rotations. And you could structure when you wanted to do those over the year. And I structured mine, so I did them all in a row. And that meant that I had about four months of summer holiday where I had no physiotherapy university commitments at all. Mm -hmm. So I went to South America with some friends. And I remember standing at the airport trying to work out a bit of a a debacle with my tickets. And this, I think I was in Peru. And this, this fella came up to me. He was an Aussie. Maybe in his late fifties, he came up and he said, "Boy, you've got the strongest Australian accent I've ever heard." <laughs> Is that wrong? Okay. <laughs> and and you know, I grew up in America for the first ten years of my life, so I learned to speak in Texas. I had a southern accent. You did, yeah. You grew up in America. I grew at, at age one and a half, two, moved to America. Okay, so you so so getting back to my original question, yeah, you were born in Melbourne. Born in Melbourne. Yep. Dad had a- What year were you born? Born 88? in 86. 86, yeah. yeah. So I was born in June 86. I'm a Gemini. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people- What, what date's that so we can send you some, some flowers? June, June 20th, 1986. Yeah. Sort of, I guess, a year and a half into my life, my father had an a opportunity to work in Texas and yeah. do his PhD there. And Which part of Texas? We were living in a town called College Station, and there's a there's a university there called Texas A and M, and for anyone listening in America who follows college football, the the Texas A and M Aggies, they're, they're you know the big college football team there, and yeah, certainly a very different experience to living in Australia at that time. So, so, you, so your dad had the opportunity, PhD in what in what field? He studies vascular health and diabetes, and you were there for ten years. I was there until I was 10, so I was there for sort of eight and a half years. So, so you actually were a sounder like an yeah. American, like, yeah. just like right down yeah, south. Like right down south. No, but you would, no you, yeah. seriously, you would have had an American accent. I had I had an American accent. <laughs> you did? Really? Yeah. I didn't know that about you. I'm a real southerner. Is that right? Yeah. All right. So, yeah, at, at about five, mm-hmm. though, Dad's, we had a transfer sort of after four years in Texas where mm-hmm. we learned to speak and, and had developed a lot of my first friends that I can remember really. Yeah. We moved to Virginia Beach on the East Coast. East Coast, yeah. So, so that was when, you know, my lifestyle and enjoyment around the ocean and the love for the ocean began. And, yeah, at age 10, I think my parents felt that they wanted my brother and I, have an older brother, three years older, two and a half years older. What's his name? His name's James. Yeah. Hi, James. <laughs> and shout out to James. Yeah. My parents... I think wanted us to do our, our high schooling. My brother was about to start high school, so back in Australia, and yeah, we moved back to to Melbourne. So, you, so when you came back, I know I keep harping on about the American accent. But you would have come back like an American kid, it's, right? 
Yeah, I can you look a bit. You kind of look a bit American, I was, right? You I was look a bit LA. I was the you. American kid, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. So I was like the new puppy for for the year level. You know, this American uh-huh. kid has come in, and it's it's funny because some people who who had develop a, a, an accent during their early years, they keep that for the rest yeah, yeah. of their life. Yeah, hundred percent. And I remember there was a girl in my class who had also come back from America, but she had her parents were American. She still has an American accent to these day, to this day. I, I guess, am somewhat a bit of a chameleon. Within within four or five months of returning to Australia, I pretty much lost my accent. Okay, nice. So you were about ten at that point. Yeah. So then, give us a little, a few minutes on between the ages of of say ten and twenty. Yeah. I really loved school. I loved yeah. high school, and I loved mm-hmm. the the time that I had to spend with my friends at school. It was, I would wake up looking forward to going to school. I was never a kid that sort of wanted to stay at home. And, you know, I had a really tight friendship of, of guys and girls at the school I went to. It was a co-ed school. It was a very enjoyable time of my life. I was a distraction in class. Were you a class clown? I was a class clown. And my parents were regularly called up, not because I was doing anything mean or anything really 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 wrong no but i had this this way of acting up and and you know being the class clown but still doing pretty well on my grades Mm -hmm. and it really frustrated the teachers yeah they couldn't condemn you yeah so like my my dad would be called up Mm -hmm. regularly and he would say to them give him more work just give him more work make Mm -hmm. it harder Mm -hmm. challenge him more and he won't he won't be the distraction that he is being Mm-hmm. And that was a regular conversation. And how did that work out? I think, I mean, they, they no doubt started throwing more work at me. And I, again, I enjoyed, I enjoyed, I don't know what, why, but I found doing the work and doing the learning, particularly if it was something I was really interested in, like I loved geography and learning about the world, you know, I, I sort of thrived on it. And did, did you dial down on on acting up on on being a clown? Did that help? Did that, did their, their strategy help or not so much? Uh, not so much. No. <laughs> I mean, I, I is there any stories? I think is there any good stories that, all the way that stand out? Um, any, anything that could be? You know, there were times where we there was a little golf buggy at our school. The ground maintenance staff would use that golf buggy to get around. We where, where I went to school in Melbourne <laughs> was sort of borderline country out yeah. in, out in Eltham is a suburb and mm-hmm. Eltham College is where I went to school it's a it's a co-ed it's a, it's a really really good school and there's a lot of land and a lot of space and there's a lot of gardens and a lot of landscape for the, for the maintenance staff to look after yeah. and they would get around on a buggy and yeah my friends and I would would steal that buggy I remember we stole it once from cruising around like Mario Kart around <laughs> around the school and a friend of mine he crashed it Actually, mm-hmm. he crushed it and did some did some serious damage. Did you tell me a story where you took it into town? Yeah, was we, that taken, we took the buggy. Yeah, we yeah. took the buggy down to the closest <laughs> shops, like down <laughs> down, the, and, and teachers who were on their lunch break <laughs> saw us cruising down. Mm. So it was all it was all good fun. It was, mm-hmm. it was pranks. It was things like that. Mm. And you know, as I said, the, the the guys I was friends with at school, everyone was was sort of into this. You know, just having a laugh and so so that was Atham College, Atham College, Atham College, and then Eltham so College, so Atham College, man, and 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 your your American accent was long gone by that point. I understand. Yeah, well, I went there. 
I, I went to Eltham College in in primary school as well yeah. because my brother he 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 started there in year seven, but it's also end up with a whole interview ladders if you're not careful, man. It's People also it also has a primary school yeah. because mm-hmm. because I was going to when I came back I was in sort of grade four or five because I was going to eventually be there from year seven. My parents thought, let's just put him in. He can he can go there the whole way. Okay. Question for you. Diet at that time, were, were you carnivorous or how would you describe Yeah, so were you just I, was an, I was an omnivore. Like, oh, yeah. I was very, very active. So mm-hmm. that point in my life, I was when I came back to Australia, I was playing three games of basketball a week. Mm-hmm. So I, I was part of a Friday night team, a Saturday team, and the school basketball plus school football. So between that, you've got sort of four, four to five games a week plus all the training sessions. There was lots of days where I'd have multiple training sessions for different sports. I was exercising a lot and, it, you know, so I could pretty much eat whatever I wanted mm-hmm. and I was I was physically fit for a kid. Yeah. Know? So my diet wasn't great. I what, was, what was it? What, what did it consist of? Like yeah, that? so obviously at home it was sort of typical home-style cooking. You know, mm-hmm. mum, what's for dinner tonight? Uh, chicken enchiladas or we'll have beef-based bolognese or lasagna, mm-hmm. fajitas, chicken fajitas, things like that. Yeah. And or some stir fries, that sort of stuff. Sometimes like meat free veg even. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. That style of cooking. And Coca Cola. Um, was it soft drink Coca Cola I was in the fridge or not? Yeah. My brother was much bigger on soft drink than I. And I was I'm pop. I was I was more for some reason I, I, I've always liked to drink water. Yeah. So I never got really deep into the soft drink stage, but I was Definitely at the school canteen having meat pies, mm-hmm. you know, which for the non-Australian listeners is a, is a pastry type of food filled with beef, big beef chunks and, yeah. and, and put some ketchup on top of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd have like a Mars bar or some sort of chocolate bar and that was yeah. my sort of yeah, by snack and lunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you, you left uh, Atham College. Is that how you pronounce it? Eltham College. Eltham, Eltham. But you can call it whatever. Eltham, I'm going to call it Eltham College. <laughs> and then you went to university. Yeah. Uh, in Australia. Yeah. In Melbourne. In Melbourne. And what were you studying? Where'd you go? So I think because of where my father was working and, and the career that he'd followed, I, I developed a bit of a, a love for the role that science played and anatomy and physiology. When I grew up, a lot of the time on the weekends, I would spend at at his his office, and it's you know that was in laboratories. He did a lot of research and you know, microscopes, things like that. So you enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed. I understood the role that science had in the, in a broader sort of picture of health and learning more about humans and our physiology. So I was going always sort of geared to go down that science path, something science based, and. I applied for medicine and I actually got in, but it was in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. And so Tasmania is a little island. Yeah, it's a little island down south. Mm-hmm. Way and, down south, right? And My I, father was from, from, from Hobart. It's, it's actually a very beautiful place, Tasmania. Yeah. Um, if anyone's looking for a trip to do. But I, at that time, uh, wanted to stay in Melbourne. 
yeah. I was looking forward to post high school that you know with with my friends and, and enjoying Melbourne Melbourne's a great city and you were very social I was very social you were kind of like the equivalent to an American jock were you <laughs> that I don't know about that far but there was there was no frat houses and things like that but I decided I, I my score wasn't quite good enough to do medicine in Melbourne so it was good enough to do physiotherapy and at that time I, I really liked the idea of being a sports physiotherapist like I saw, you know, what physiotherapists were doing with AFL football, which is a professional football league in Australia, and and I sort of I was inspired by that, and I could see uh, how rewarding that would be to actually help an athlete perform, yeah, and achieve their goals. And so I, I went and did physiotherapy, and so you, so you you were inspired to do that before you went to university before. Act- so that that's helpful. Yeah. Because a lot of young people don't know. They yeah. kind of get kind of nudged into something and they're, yeah, I guess they're, not, they're not passionate about it. So, But it yeah. sounds like you were. Yeah, I think physiotherapy is one of those courses where you go into it knowing what you're, you're doing. It's a bit different to like mm-hmm. a broader marketing or an arts degree where, you know, those courses are great where people don't know what they want to do and you mm-hmm. can get in and go through uni and you can sort of then go and get some experience and work out what you want to do. But if you go and do physiotherapy, well, you're developing the skills to be a physiotherapist, so mm-hmm. you'd want to know that that's well, you know, the path you want to go down. Right. So that was a few years. That was it was a four year course. Yeah. And I did actually did a research based honors in my final year as well. Um, again, I was very interested in the research side of things, so I wasn't sure whether I was at that stage was I going to go and practice clinically or was I going to go down the path that my dad had done and, and do a PhD and continue with research. Um. But, yeah, towards the end of the course, I was very, very fortunate that um, I developed some, co- some good contacts. And, with who? And, well, with, with a lady called Lynn Watson, who is one of the top physiotherapists in Australia, particularly known for shoulder rehab. Yeah. And my honours project was on shoulder multidirectional instability of the shoulder. Mm-hmm. So through that and talking at some conferences where I was, I was speaking about that research I'd done, I met these people and, and, and they gave me an opportunity to come in as a new grad and work under them. And, and where, where was that? This was in uh, Paran Sports Medicine Centre is the name of the facility, mm-hmm. which is in Paran. It's in Melbourne. Yep. It's um, next to a suburb called South Yarra, which people are probably more familiar with. And at the same time, I was working with um, AFL footballers. I'd done... So, hang on, but AFL footballers, they're elite football yeah, players, right? Yeah. So at this stage, you would have been 21, 22 years I was old. 22. So if you're 22 years old, you're, in, you're working with, with uh, elite athletes. How, I mean, how did you transition from going from obscurity to dealing with, with uh, A-grade professionals? How, how did that... It's kind of one of those things, like I look back on it now and I'm like, wow, like was I, how did I do that? Like how did, how was I not thinking that I was out of my depth? So how did you? I was, I'm, I'm really confident in things that I do. And, and it, when I was in my first year of university, I knew that if I'm going to work for an AFL football club and with footballers, I need to go get some proper experience. Mm-hmm. And I just volunteered my time and I went down to the club underneath the AFL and I worked there for three years on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. What club was that? Coburg Football Club. Covert. Coburg. Coburg. So that at the time was a feeder club to Richmond. And it was it was great. Like, you know, football clubs are a bit of a boys club, but it gave me gave me the confidence that once I was qualified, 
I would I would know what I was doing and and I could back myself and be confident at training and on game day to help these players. Mm-hmm. And it was, that was volunteer. That was volunteer. But you're simultaneously working for Watson's place. Yeah, I was so working. Paid. Well, no, sorry, that was so that was volunteer while I was at university. University. Okay. So I wasn't qualified at that stage. Uh-huh. Actually, before Coburg, the first place that I was volunteering at was Scotch, and and they're they're uh, an amateur football club. So I volunteered there first, then I moved over. Mm-hmm. Through that, I moved over to to Coburg, which was a feeder club to the AFL. And then once I graduated, then I was being paid. Okay. And and and. You know, Pran Sports Medicine Center is the top or top one or two sort of private practices that are dealing with sports rehabilitation and injuries. So, um, so, so, so you you were inspired by what you were doing for what, a few, three or four or five years, something like that. Yeah, it was, or longer. I mean, or? It was. I, I loved. I loved the 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 physiotherapy practice that I was doing and whether it was just a patient coming in off the street who wasn't a footballer or it was a footballer, like just being able to directly impact their health. Is there any any uh, like one or two stories that stand out of, 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 of helping someone that that, you, that we might want to hear about? Um, I mean, or, or is it not? Is it not? There's, there's quite a lot. I mean, when I, long story short, mm. when I left the practice, there were, I was, I was sort of in that. What year was that, roughly? I left in 2011. Okay. When I left, you know, I was inundated by messages from patients asking if I was moving somewhere else. Right. You develop relationships. Anyone who's a clinician, you develop relationships with your patients and they've, a lot of them have come to you with a really acute injury, whether, you know, severe back injury and they're off work or someone who's had a sporting injury. A lot of these footballers, some of them had been out of football for 12 months. They might have had an ACL reconstruction and they're out of football for 12 months. They've put their life, they've dedicated their life to this sport and if they don't come back and make it, they're fearing, well, what's next? And their income and their family. They haven't family. gone to uni, right. a lot of yeah, them. Yeah. They haven't gone yeah. to uni. This is everything. And they they know that you've got two or three years. If you don't really make it in the first mm-hmm. two or three years for, as a young guy, mm-hmm. you're out. The system, yeah. You'll be out yeah. and then you've got to fend for yourself. So there's a lot on the line and to know that you you can play an, an integral role in that is, is it's very fulfilling when you're able to help that player get back on track. Right. And, and then why did you, what was the impetus, the motivation for transitioning out of that in 2011 and where did you go to next? I have a wandering mind around, you know, what I can achieve and I think – I I was enjoying the the physiotherapy work I was doing. Yeah. And you know, some opportunities came up business-wise mm-hmm. that I felt was a was a great challenge and it sparked my interest and I started to juggle some of these business interests with the physiotherapy. What kind of businesses? So a lot of e-commerce stuff early on. Is this is this the end of 2011 yeah, roughly? This yeah, this is around that stage. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, back in back in the sort of 2007 to 2010, like even while I was at uni, I was dabbling around in, in marketplaces online like eBay. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I was volunteering at the football club. Yeah, but I was I had to earn some money to live yeah, as a uni course. student. So I was dabbling around on eBay and doing things, selling things, you know, buying things out of Asia. Whether like it's what? What'd you buy? Chip sets or just silly things. Yeah, and 
and um, reselling them, reselling yeah. them on eBay, mm-hmm. right? And, and and started to understand procuring products and what what margin calculations are and how do you factor in you know cost cost of goods and then cost of shipping and mm-hmm. and identifying a, a product that is going is to sell, reading trends online, looking mm-hmm. at at search volume and search traffic and. So, so you've got to have a, a, a business mind, a scientific mind, a business mind yeah. that wasn't being fully satiated yeah. in the role as a physio. I think and so. So, you, so you've got to have this outlet to, to explore all of that. Yeah, I kind of felt like – so I, I did that stuff through uni mm-hmm. and then I went in and started the physio which and, and was just doing purely that because at that stage I'm being paid to be a physio so I didn't need to worry about this stuff on eBay and stuff anymore. And I kind of felt that – had unfinished business in terms of the the e-commerce side of things and 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 building businesses and brands online and it was something i wanted to explore a little bit further mm-hmm. so what so what um what were some of the brands or that you were interested in or you you got behind or yeah i think probably the the main the main one at that time was and i mean i've started well i think one of the key things is that i've started probably if I went back and listed them all, maybe fifteen brands, okay. and it's they're not they're not all successes. Mm-hmm. But if we look back at at one of the early ones that was a the success, I'd I'd been to Bali and I came back from Bali with a stomach bug, mm-hmm. and my digestion really didn't improve after a few weeks of being home in Australia like I thought it would. My business partner, who I started this business with, she was a regular visitor of a Chinese medicine practice. Yep. You know, practicing traditional Chinese medicine and that I, I was quite interested in in seeing if I could heal my stomach issues without Western medicine. Mm-hmm. And, and so I didn't go and see my standard sort of GP. I went and saw this Chinese doctor and sort of reluctantly in the back of my mind I thought, is this guy going to be a bit of a quack? But I went and saw him and he gave me some some herbs and spices and things and and tea herbal tea and yeah. and I had to cook them up into a like a, a big sort of broth Vat, yeah. yeah like mm-hmm. cook them up on the and it, it really it stunk out the office it it would stink out the home I was living with a couple of mates at this stage in, in Richmond in Melbourne it worked though I I felt better whether it was a placebo placebo or more time or whatnot it it worked and I started to then think okay well maybe traditional Chinese medicine Maybe there's a bit more to this. And not only that, when I was in his clinic, which was a, a fairly low-key sort of looking clinic in a back street, he had a behind his desk where his receptionist sat, there was all of these jars on the wall and they had different herbs inside them and some Chinese writing on them and then underneath the translation of, you know, whether it was kidney or skin health or digestion or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And going back thinking about that going back to to speak with my friend at this stage who she had recommended me I, I thought maybe we could commercialize this idea of of herbs and tea and use the e-commerce model to to sell it to okay. to reach end customers and that was how we built this brand called your tea mm-hmm. which I've since sold out of yeah but you know, that was a, a success. Yeah, it was. A, it was a. It was a huge success. success. But that sounded like America. Yeah, man. I mean, 
I don't. I don't think we need to go into to numbers and things like no, that. No, no. It's, it's, but it was it was a it successful was, thing. So you had a few. You had so fifteen brands. May, yeah. Maybe two thirds of them were successful, and and the other one third were not. Or? Yeah, and I think the the key was the more experience I got, I could quickly work out which ones were not going to work and mm-hmm. so fail quickly yeah. rather than dumping a whole lot of money and resources into those ones that weren't going to work. So, so d- during this phase, this this time frame, what we're talking, what, 2011 yeah. to or what, even up until today, you're I mean, still I'm working? Still, yeah, okay. still, I still have so, um, so in that, in that, when you transition out of physio into these brands, what's your diet like? Any epiphanies around diet and the way it impacts physiology or you just yeah. kind of more or less. No, when I was sort of going through physio, naturally the, the type of people that you're around, whether you're in the the classes with you, your sort of colleagues coming through physio or at the football club, naturally these people are, are, are thinking more about their health. Mm-hmm. Was my diet then different to now? Yes. Mm-hmm. Was it very different? Yes. But at the time I thought I was doing the, the right thing, the healthiest thing mm-hmm. by my body. And it's probably commonly sort of described as a bit of a bro science diet. It's a diet that sort of gets passed from one bro to the next bro right. at gym. Mm-hmm. And that was lean meats yeah, and nuts and exactly. And yeah. some, um, some sweet potato and mm-hmm. some broccoli mm-hmm. and some spinach. Um, and I was eating like that. I've always been fairly disciplined with my health. I thought that mm-hmm. was the healthiest way to eat and I was disciplined with it. Mm-hmm. I've never been a big person into junk food i've never really been big into drinking alcohol that sort of stuff so i was doing that for the you know majority of my sort of 22 to 27 28 Mm -hmm. how old are you now 32 32 okay when did the whole idea of of plant proof come up or more importantly even before that i remember you you and i uh, even a couple of years ago i kind of met you in this phase transition and I, and I think you toyed with the idea of being a vegan. And the next thing I know, you're like 100% hardcore into it. So tell us about that yeah. that transition because uh, I think that's- in 2015 mm-hmm. or something, some, sometime around mm-hmm. there. But mm-hmm. we, I think I was talking to my brother yeah. and he had been going on his own journey with his health along with his fiance at the time. This is James. Yeah, this is James. And and he was he'd come up and spent some time with me in Sydney and I think at the time he was eating a pescatarian type of diet. And and for me, you know, I I've so it's always, basically simply yeah, fish. Fish well it's no chicken, well, yeah, no no yeah, other meats, just you know, but lots of lots of vegetables and fruits. Yeah. But the only animal, real animal product he was eating was I think he was eating fish and he was still eating eggs at that time. Right. But it sort of opened my my eyes up a bit to thinking or or going away and looking at what I was eating and looking at the science because I'd always looked at the science from a physiotherapy angle Mm -hmm. more around you know the anatomy and and from a rehabilitation process what does the evidence show when someone does this to their knee how do we rehabilitate them right right but not so much from a, a nutritional point of view and like medicine my physiotherapy course barely touched on nutrition I barely knew the real role of nutrition. You know, they say food is medicine, right? Mm-hmm. So he got me really inspired to go away and look at the science and do do some readings and, you know. What was it about what he was doing that inspired you so much? 
he felt great. It was very evident that he was very happy with these changes that mm-hmm. he had made. And he was inspiring me by shit. Like he was sharing a lot of links and sharing some books so this, things like that. So this is like late 15, early 2016. Yeah. So we're only talking a few years ago, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. And and then, but he, w- he was um, encouraging a, a pescatarian diet. He wasn't really putting a label too much on where he was with it. I mm-hmm. think he was going through his own transition. Yeah. And that was where he was th- at that stage. And t- it was... It was it was around 2015 while he was doing that. So, so then, then you were sent these links, and you started just you curious. You started researching, and what did your research reveal? And how and how long was this kind of research period? So naturally, I started. I started to. Firstly, I was. I was thinking, okay, I need to find out what the science shows in terms of people. What people should eat to live the longest, mm-hmm. and. There was overwhelming evidence from a, a, a real micro point of view to a macro lens looking at populations out there. Yeah. There was overwhelming evidence that we should be consuming a diet largely mm-hmm. made up of plants. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And then I was looking at my diet, which wasn't largely made up of plants. The, the star of the plate on all of my meals was always the animal protein. Mm-hmm. And then the second thought or the afterthought was about what was going to sit next to them. Correct. And yeah, then did I answer your question there? Yeah, uh, more or less. <laughs> so, so this was this was around. <laughs> I think no, I think you did. Yeah, yeah. I think you think, you think yeah. you're doing a very good job. <laughs> so you did the information. It was inspired by James. So I, I've got yeah. that. And so now we're into kind of roughly because I'm, I'm trying to kind of understand the timeline for, because where I'm sitting, this transformations kind of happened in a, in a relatively short period of time, which I find quite inspiring. That you know, one can change very quickly. You can go from one certain lifestyle, yeah, and and then with some information, some knowledge, and the desire to to implement that knowledge, have some pretty rapid evolutionary transformation. I find that interesting. So 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 now we're we're kind of in in around mid two thousand and sixteen, and and but you haven't yet made the decision to. To be vegan, correct? Well, I think I had, but you hadn't. Ac- I didn't you hadn't actually label on it. Like, right. you know, there was a, lo- a lot of the time where I would go out. Whether I, I think, like a lot of people, you're not 100 percent strict at the start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, I wasn't putting a label on 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 how I was eating, and I never intended to put a label on it. I'm yeah. sort of now in this position where I fall under this umbrella and, and, and with what I'm doing with plant proof, I guess I have put a, a label on, right. on my lifestyle, yeah, but yeah. particularly at the start, like from a pressure point of view, you know, I had the fears that most guys have, am I going to lose muscle? Am I yeah. going to lose size? Like yeah. I didn't want to be the guy that had gone out, put this label on it. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. I was like, I can't sustain that. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a really common thing. I think there's a lot of people out there that are changing the way they eat, but not necessarily making it public knowledge until they feel very comfortable with it mm-hmm. um, and, and that they're going to to continue living that way. Was there one instance or one film clip or, or was, it, was there something that you interface with, something in the media, whatever, that just made you think, I'm done, this is it, I'm, I'm never going to touch an animal product again? Or was it just a... A gradual transition. It was a gradual, and I was pulling information from multiple sources. <clears throat> I was reading the science. I was listening to other 
plant-based or, or vegan mm-hmm. people that, mm-hmm. you know, talking who who didn't have real extreme sort of points of view, like mm-hmm. guys like Rich Roll. Yeah. And I started to understand that, okay, I can go down this path and I don't need to be extreme with my views. Mm-hmm. I can, this isn't, you know, my what I thought of vegans before I changed was completely mm-hmm. different to now. Mm-hmm. And I guess I had some. What did, what did you think? You know, well, I, I think there's a stereotype and a stigma around vegans, particularly sort of purist vegans. And I thought they were extreme. And I thought, in what way? Extreme in their diet or extreme in their manner or extreme? In what way were they extreme? I'm going to be completely honest. Mm-hmm. I didn't know enough about veganism. And I would, I would have thought, I think if you went back and asked me in my early 20s what I thought, I would have said they're extreme in their diet and they're extreme in their views and they're forceful. And, mm-hmm. and that wasn't because at my early 20s I'd done the research. It was I was unaware mm-hmm. and unconscious of, of, of the lifestyle that these people were living. And, I, and then, you know, I think to add to that, there still are people that are extreme with their view today. It's just I decided to go down a, a different path. Hopefully, you know, the information that I'm putting out there isn't being seen as, as extreme. I like to think that I put more of a balanced point of view out there. Okay, ba- balanced in. So, so when, you, when you're talking about extreme, like one, one could look at a, a vegan diet and and say that's pretty extreme. But I think I think what I'm hearing you talk about, correct me if I'm wrong, is is the the manner that you go about communicating that to others. Like you know, you get fundamentalists in any religion. They're, they're, they're extreme and, and they're, it, it's forceful. Uh, forceful. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I think I'm talking More. about that sort of, um, kind of righteous superiority. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's almost, mm-hmm. you can, some people can think it's aggressive, it's forceful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, I, I just, I understand that everyone's on their own journey. It's mm-hmm. not my place to be forceful or to be aggressive. Um, so I choose to, to have a bit more of a, a bit more open-minded, lead by example, yeah, yeah. open-minded yeah. Um, way of of <coughs> talking about health that is accepting of people who are in different stages of their life. I like that because it, it's um, it speaks to something that I've studied. Obviously, pretty much everyone knows that we're we're all evolving, and who and what we are today is a more advanced and sophisticated version of who we were yesterday or last year, a few years ago. So we're constantly evolving and changing. So we don't want to to condemn others for where they're at on their kind of evolutionary trajectory. Um, if that think, makes sense. Yeah, I think yeah, it, yeah. well, perfectly. I think if when I was twenty, so this is how I look at it. I look back at when I was eating animal products. If I was condemned, and someone was aggressively telling me mm-hmm. what I was doing was wrong and making me feel bad, yeah, I don't think I'd be sitting here today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I would have had the transformation mm-hmm. that I've had. And that's what worries me. It's that everyone is on their own journey. And I think we, we need to let people, you know, have that experience at their own pace. Okay. A couple of other questions. Your motivation to be vegan is primarily motivated out of the desire to live a longer, healthier life. Um, for example, if if science proved that to live a longer and healthier life, which it doesn't, by eating animal products, would you be okay with eating animal products? 
or is it is is there some compassion for the for the animals these sentient beings that's prompted yeah. your decision to to not eat them yeah okay so let's talk about science just quickly and then mm-hmm. lead into that yeah, yeah if i'm going to be completely honest what does the science show yeah the science does not show that eating a 100% vegan diet is the most optimal diet to live the longest. It, it doesn't. And I'll tell you why. Okay. And it, it probably- I'm surprised that you say that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let me talk you through this. Yeah. Right? I appreciate the honesty. So the people that live the longest mm. in the world yep. have a largely plant-based, 90, 95% of their diet is made up of plants. People, people will point you to blogs that say otherwise or whatnot, but there is very, very deep studies that have looked at the populations and, and studied what they eat, and 70% of their diet is made up of carbohydrates, 90 95% is made up of plants, and then there's a very small amount of animal product. So that it, what, what, say those numbers again. So, so 90 to 95% of their diet is plant-based. Plant-based, yeah. And of that... And then the rest is the so five carbs. Yeah, so the five ten percent is might carbs. be animal, might be animal. Yeah, yeah. And of their overall diet, seventy percent is carbohydrates, unrefined carbohydrates. All right. So we've got ninety percent plant. Yep. Seventy percent. Seventy percent in terms of macronutrients, because plants have protein and they have fat. Got it. Seventy percent of their overall diet is carbohydrates. Okay, got it. And so we know that looking at these populations, that are they're high altitude ones too. Isn't that something to do with like this? Um, there's that I read, or it was a, perhaps a, um, a Netflix something on, on people who live the longest. Is it true that there's a, an outpost in Japan, a village, and they lived until their hundreds? I, they're, I, th- they're, I think so, but n- not all of these zones are all high altitude. Right. What do they call those zones again? They call them blue, blue zones. Blue zones, right? right. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then if we look at, at randomized controlled trials and we, and we, look at sort of petri dish style studies they lean towards from a health marker point of view your health markers which are um, looking at molecules in the blood and things like that yeah they that those that eat more plants have healthier health markers which would represent a lower chance of developing chronic disease that will end their life but, but will if we want to say what is the optimal diet this is the study we would have to do we would have to randomized children at birth, right? We need the permission of their parents. We need to get thousands of babies and we need to say to their parents, we're gonna randomize them to vegan, whole food, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, uh, carnivore, omnivore. Then we need to control for all variables. None of those kids can smoke. They have to all consume the same amount of alcohol. They have Mm -hmm. to do the same amount of physical exercise. They have to control for that their whole life. Halfway through the study, the people running the study are going to die because the kids are naturally going to live longer. So we'll have to hand that over. Mm-hmm. Ethically, this is never going to happen in this right. study, right? It's impossible. So, so it's impossible. So all we mm-hmm. can do is look at from, a, I think, a, a really big, broad point of view and say, well, what is what is the overarching, what is the science showing us? What are we leaning towards? And we know that's a predominance of plants. That's why I can't sit here and say that science shows 100%. Mm-hmm. But back to your original question to me, that last five or ten percent that it may not even matter what you do with that but that's where things like sustainability so last five or ten percent of, of the diet so you know so you got 90 so 90 percent plant-based yeah, so 90 okay, percent yeah. right so, so the last five or ten percent yeah, yeah that last five or ten percent it may not even impact your health 
It might not. Mm -hmm. And that's where, I mean, for me, I, the more I was reading and more I was learning, it was, I have chosen to sort of, I guess, vote with my dollars. And every time I, I eat and look at my plate, I, I know that it's not supporting factory farming. I know that it is having less of a, it's less resource intensive and having less impact on the planet. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's a sustainable way for me to eat and that that makes me feel good. So it, so it, could you say that there's one primary motivator or, or, or is this kind of several that are all mixed together? I think at the start. Because like what, let's, yeah. look, let's look at what they are. I mean, well, so, so we've got, you've got all the, all the, all the carbon emissions, right, from, from uh, agriculture, from cows, correct? Yep. That, so that's one, we're contaminating. And the amount of water. We're contaminating the environment, the greenhouse yeah, gases. The amount of resources, resources required right. for, for, you know, feeding cows. It was like 17,000 gallons of water required for one quarter pound of bird yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Okay, so so we've got we've got water, we've got we've got uh, emissions, greenhouse gases, we've got we've got cruelty, cruelty so like to, to the 80, animals. Eighty percent of antibiotics, eighty to ninety percent of antibiotics that are made in this world are given to cattle. Joe didn't know that. Isn't that crazy? Crazy, right? Um, you know, we've got the the animal cruelty side of things, and and. You know what would the world look like without factory farming? Or there'd just be less, a lot less of these animals that are born into the world to ultimately be slaughtered. Mm -hmm. That's why they're born, and 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 live in horrendous horrendous con conditions. And and not all of them. You mm -hmm. know, some people point out there are farms where they don't, but they're still, I guess, born to be slaughtered. Yeah. You know, I that last ten percent of my diet, I like that. I'm not contributing to that, regardless mm -hmm. of the way it's farmed. Mm -hmm. So what, what else? So we've got water, antibiotics, animal cruelty. It's, it's not, we, we, we're not sure whether how healthy or, or, or not healthy it is, is what you're saying. No, we know. We know that, we definitely know that, the like particularly, okay, processed meat, right, mm -hmm. is, is classified as a, a, a Class A carcinogen by the World Health Organization, deli meats, things like bacon, ham, these are these are known carcinogenic foods. Yep. Yet they're still sold in Seven Eleven mm -hmm. grocery stores. They're still sold at school canteens. Mm -hmm. So we know that, and we know that we know that other types of red meat are associated with with health markers, right? That are predictive of developing chronic disease. Mm -hmm. Is it categorical? No, because going back, we'd have to run that that, mm -hmm. that study. Impossible study. Okay, so we've got animal cruelty. I mean, we've got what's happening with our overall ecosystem in the ocean and things like losing losing habitat, yeah, um, species extinction. I mean, even extending out of this is a completely different topic is around the amount of plastic that's ending up in the ocean. And I just had Tim Silverwood on the podcast by 2050, there is predicted to be more pieces of plastic in the ocean than fish. Oh my god! So I mean, that's that again. Thinking about plastic and thinking about what I'm consuming—that's just been an extension of first thinking from a health point of view. What am I eating? And then naturally, mm -hmm. I guess I've become a little bit more conscious about my impact on things around me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What started first? I mean, it's probably you know, the chicken or the egg. Well, the health, the, I mean, was it the diet that gave birth to this kind of higher? state of consciousness 
or, or was it the higher state of consciousness that gave birth to this this he- healthier diet? I think it was the the diet, and I and then you became more the cl- even just the diet eating eating these foods. I think my mm. my clarity and mm-hmm. it improved, and, mm-hmm. and and my thinking changed, and I think ultimately I became open to listening to and reading you know other opinions right so so would it be fair to say there wasn't there wasn't actually one one isolated motivating factor it was a kind of a cocktail of of, a variety of different i guess we can say they're all negative things right all of these things that that on the one hand pushed you away from a fish or meat eating diet so there was this kind of moving away from that and then the corollary or the consequence of that was that you noticed, as you just said, that your 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 thinking changed, and and you became clearer. So, what are some of the other positive things that you've noticed that you've detected from this this new uh, diet, physically or mentally, or yeah, do you, yeah. all of it? Let's start with why don't we start with mental? Mentally, I think just going through that process of of opening my mind and challenging my my belief system mm-hmm. a lot of our beliefs are instilled at a, in us at a very early age programmed programmed right mm-hmm. and, and i started to think is this is this actually my belief or is this being plugged into me without much thought have i just yeah. taken a society's belief yeah, yeah, yeah. and accepted it yeah for what it is yeah and i think literally that understanding that then changed the way that I think about everything. It mm-hmm. made me question beliefs in my in my mm-hmm. system and it made me look at them and and understand that it's okay to relearn. Yeah. Uh, unlearn, unlearn, yeah, yeah. and yeah. then relearn. Yeah. And as soon as I was accepting of that, I mean, that was the overall, I guess, shift in my mentality, which is allowed, I think, when I look at myself, if I was to say, you know, how have I sort of grown, I guess, in the last few years? I'd say a lot of it is that mental shift towards being receptive to the idea that it's okay to have look back and go, you know, maybe I was not living my true belief system mm-hmm. previously mm-hmm. and there's so many more years yeah. left yeah, yeah. and I can change it. So you're becoming more awake to, to patterns, more aware of, 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 of programs and patterns. But in terms of energy levels, you're transitioning from one diet to a, to a vegan diet. What are, what, are, what are some of the other positive things you've experienced? I've, um, when I've interviewed people, or at least in the times where I've, I can't say I've been vegan, but been completely vegetarian, I would say that my experience was I felt greater clarity of mind and I also felt less susceptible to, um, to to suboptimal emotions, like getting getting angry, for example. I think some of the you know eating meat and these things, you know, they, we're, we're we're they're filled with you know animals are filled with fear. You're eating an animal that, that's aware, a cow's aware that it's going to be slaughtered before it's slaughtered. That fear is in its nervous system, or we're ingesting that, and, and I, I think that uh, I've, I've noticed when, when I was a vegetarian for quite a while, and I finally broke. I'm being perfectly honest, and uh, I think I had a steak, 
I had nightmares, like terrible nightmares that, that evening. And, I, and I'm sure that it was because of the, of the fear that was in, in the flesh of the animal. Yeah. That I was. So I guess my question to you um, after that kind of long-winded segue is what are some of the positive benefits that you've directly experienced as a, as a consequence of this shift in, in your diet? I think it's opened me up to being more compassionate, right? And being more compassionate, you know, starting with my plate, but then also being more compassionate, I guess, in my relationships with friends and family, being more understanding, whether that's that, you know, I'm, I'm not angry because I'm not ingesting the fear of the animal or not. Mm-hmm. I think it's we've got this compassion and masculine the dominant, you know, it's like it's battle, battle, yeah, right? yeah, and and, yeah. and I think I start. I love the way you say you mas- you say masculine, masculine, yeah, yeah. What do you say? No, no, no. I, I, I it, it's, it's a, it's a masculine. You, you look at, you're talking about compassion, yeah, and the polar opposite being masculine. You didn't say compassion and polar opposite being feminine. No, it was a very interesting choice of words. Yeah, and I, I tend to agree with you. That we're just that, that our species is just overrun with this kind of masculine. It's funny for males yeah. to be saying this, but it's just this tos- testosterone kind of ego-driven. But it's um, like it's like that compassion doesn't have a place within masculinity. But then I started to realize that it does, right? And that it's really important to have compassion. Well, talk talk about that. So so you you didn't think that compassion had a place in masculinity. And then you realise that it does. What? How did that epiphany well, come about? I think that when you when you're growing up and you look at masculinity and you know movies and TVs and you see strong men and it's it's like emotions are suppressed and com- there's not a whole lot of compassion shown a lot of the time. Right. And you, as a kid, you start to believe, well, that's that's what a man is. Right. And that's why a lot of I guess men suppress their emotions and their feelings and. When I started, like when I started eating more plants, and then I started caring about the animals and thinking, mm-hmm. "What's wow!" Like that was for me. It was shocking to to feel so much compassion. It was new to me, mm-hmm. right? It was new. I felt a whole amount of guilt for how I'd been eating. Yeah. Um, particularly that I knew that this whole time I could have been eating a, a diet which is far healthier mm-hmm. and would have had been a lot more compassionate mm-hmm. and and i think going back to our beliefs being instilled uh, sort of programmed into us i think if someone went back to when i was two or three and asked me or told me that i could eat diet a where there's no animal slaughtered be healthy or diet b i would have as a kid i would have naturally had that compassion but it, yeah. it left me yeah I, I, I remember my, my father took me uh, fishing down the south coast. I was about eight or nine years old. We were on like a 26 or 27-foot fishing boat. He was with one of his friends. It was early on a Sunday morning and um, he landed a 10-pound tuna on the deck of the boat and um, I, you know, the, the, the fish, the, you know, one eye of the fish is facing down toward the deck, the other eye, I'm looking straight at the fish. And, uh, when my father cut the fish's throat, I mean, I, it, it even upsets me to this day to even talk about it. I, I started crying. I, I just, and the blood was 
being you know rushed all over the deck and I I was I was really mortified mortified by it went to the front of the boat and I just didn't talk for the rest of the day it was just fucking horrific and 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 and, and what you're saying is it's kind of beaten out of you that that natural innate intrinsic compassion is is beaten out of you in the name of being this kind of masculine hunter warrior fisherman that kind of archetype it's such it's such a it's just which is not the world we live in it's not the world we live in it's not it it really it, it, it requires that you numb down that you numb out but no wonder my father and uh, this sounds like a bit of a therapy session you can invoice me later <laughs> but, but it's but no wonder they're all Keep drinking going. no no but it's wonder why they're all they're all yeah. drinking so much alcohol because you kind of need to to stay numb to what you're feeling just to be a man. Okay, maybe I'm going a bit overboard, but that's a constantly But it's a great killing. point, like, yeah. outs, you know, with mm. these beliefs that may not be our true yeah, beliefs yeah. that society yeah. instills in us, yeah. what impact do they have outside of our plate? What impact are they having emotionally yeah. as we move through our life? Yeah, yeah. Because you're essentially, you're, you're living the way society is, you know, uh, you're living a belief system accepted by society that may not actually be truly aligned with how you would prefer to live. Yeah. Okay. So, so you were, so you getting back to some of the, the positive things as a consequence of, of your vegan diet, not wanting to brand it, but let's call it a vegan diet is you've got, you've got clarity, you're feeling more compassion, you're feeling what, what else, what other higher, more energy. Sleeping, sleeping less or quality yeah, of sleep is better? I think my sleep's always been pretty good. Yep. Um, and energy levels are great. I I certainly felt a change in energy and particularly after meals is the biggest thing that I notice mm. is my digestion is just much easier. It's much quicker. Yeah, yeah. I don't feel like, you know, when I used to eat a big heavy steak or something with the boys, it would be that feeling of, oh, like, you know, afterwards and food coma. I don't feel that so much and and my food's super easy to digest i think going back to your label i i don't i don't i know people call it a vegan diet i i prefer to call it a lifestyle yeah. a lifestyle Lifestyle. and because yeah. i think a diet infers that it's on off on yeah. off, on yeah, off. Yeah, yeah what what i what i practice myself and what i tell people mm. is it's it's something it's a change you make to your plate yeah it's a change that offers you abundance there are so many different foods that you will probably have never tried that you'll start to try with try and you can enjoy and it's something that you you're not going on and off with it you're just making a change to your food selection and that's it that's it yeah can i just say you and i both live in the bondi beach area last night i'm walking around bondi i'm actually want to eat food without animal products but actually i have to rack my brain to contemplate or think of a restaurant that only serves plant-based food. And then it just got me thinking that this morning after our, our conversation on the way here, that you're actually opening, is that, can we announce that now? Yeah, or is yeah, that, yeah. Is that, um, is that not, not? So my girlfriend and I are opening up a, a cafe in, in Bondi. Yeah. Which will, or more of a restaurant, it'll be open all day, breakfast, lunch and dinner. Mm-hmm. And it'll be 100% plant-based. It'll be it'll be a menu built around you know the the advice that I give in terms of healthy eating, yep. um, food that we like to enjoy at home, and I think it's going to seat maybe 80 people between inside and outside. 
And that is in the Pacific Building. Yeah, so it's in the Pacific Building. We've got a nice spot. Which, Shout out to Edward and yeah, to Alan. Edward, Alan. Yeah, Alan and Edward. Great guys. And, yeah, we've got a little um, sort of 30, I think 30-odd seats inside, 50 seats outside, which is in the atrium there where, you know, there's lots of plants. And, yeah, it's a nice spot. And that is a passion project more mm-hmm. than anything. Yeah. It's a space. We were waiting for a space which will allow us to to create a really intimate environment somewhere where that like-minded people can come, mm-hmm. connect, and hopefully yeah. become friends. You know, so it's going to be a little different to to other cafes and restaurants in in Bondi. But yeah. like you said, you were walking around looking for something. So we're hoping that we're sort of filling that that, that need. That need, yeah, yeah. yeah. So tell me about. You know, a few years ago we went to uh, to Mykonos and you had your your thirtieth birthday, and most of your friends and family, and the same with me. Most of my friends and family are uh, you know having, having barbecues, steaks, chops, yeah. blah blah blah. Was was there con? Was there any? Is there has there been any backlash to shifting your diet? When, okay, for example, when I I don't drink, right? I don't drink. I've got any moral judgment about it. But it's it's I find it challenging if I go out and I say to people, look, I'm not I don't want to drink. It doesn't inspire. Which is why I I, I I at the start, you know, I said that I didn't I didn't put a label on it and I didn't say anything. Yeah. And I'd go out like a lot of the time. I know you don't go out and announce I'm not drinking. No. You know, you you go there and you enjoy yourself mm-hmm. and you just decide not to drink. You don't make a big deal of it. That's but, right. And that's certainly what I was doing. In fact I hide it to be honest. Yeah. So that's, that's what I was doing. I was hiding it at mm-hmm. the start. Mm-hmm. And I'd get up from the table. If there wasn't something on the menu, yeah. I'd get up from the table and go and speak to the waitress like on the way to the bathroom and say, hey, I don't eat any animal products. I'm vegan. Is there is there anything that you can do for me? I'm not fussy. Is there just something that you can do for me? And, you know, when everyone orders on the table, you just know what I want and bring it over. And, yeah. and nine times out of ten, well, pretty much ten times out of ten, they're like, yeah, yeah, don't worry, we'll do something. Or even they'll grab the chef right, and the right. chef will be excited by the fact that he can actually make something different instead of pumping out the same thing all night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of relationships. But, hang on, but the need to, but what's, yeah. this, what's this driver to needing to hide, to hide it? I don't like to be the centre of attention, wow. Right. If it's, if it's, I mean, that was my 30th in Mykonos you're talking about, but like if it's my birth, I'd rather be at someone else's birthday than my own birthday. Yeah. And I don't want to be the guy at the table who's making a big, big fuss. And I think though that a lot of that stems from, I guess, the stigma around vegans being being annoying and being high maintenance. dicky and high yeah, maintenance yeah, yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. And and I, I want to, I, I, firmly believe that vegans and non-vegans should coexist and they can coexist and mm-hmm. they can do so in a really happy way and have harmonious, happy, harmonious right. relationships, mm-hmm. right? And that's going back to not having that extreme point of view because it makes it very hard to coexist if you're very extreme in your views. Um, but the, you know, the other thing is, with, with, with I don't know about you, but when anyone presents anything to me with, with a, an energetic feeling of kind of righteousness yeah. or and there's this kind of slight... Uh, they're talking to me in a condescending way. It just makes me run the other way. So it kind of has the reverse effect. Actually, they probably, if they were less fundamental, and I guess we touched on this earlier, and a bit more compassionate and a bit less hardcore, that you'd probably feel kind of so, more inspired or more open to uh, listening to their point and, of view. And, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't even thinking about that at the start mm-hmm. because of trying to, to – 
to change how other people were eating wasn't even on my radar. I was still trying to work out what I should be eating and, and how long for. So it was more just hiding it, suppressing it at the start whilst I could personally navigate through my own change in eating habits. So so for, when did you come out of the closet, so to speak? Yeah. <laughs> and and what, what, what was there, what, what prompted that? I think naturally as I was trying to, to hide it, I guess. Oh, sorry, I've got to interrupt. I just remember there was, when, in the early phases of this, I remember you got a text or something from some guy that actually slammed you about your your uh, advertisement or or announcement that you were vegan. Oh, come on, maybe it was a, a gym head. Do you remember that? And he I was can't talking about exactly. And he was saying, "Oh, Simon, you know, we need to eat meat, mate." Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. What are you oh, talking? You know what you're talking about, it's mate? It's funny. A lot of, lot of at the start. I think there's been a lot of information that's come out in the last two, three, four years, which in the public, mm. right, which has changed a lot of people's, you know, ideas around what a plant-based diet is. Mm-hmm. But at the start, certainly I had friends who were telling me that it would be unsustainable, I would lose muscle, mm. things like that. But on the whole, the funny thing is, like, I think that was when my friends thought that it was just a phase, it was just a trend. Mm-hmm. As soon as they, they more conversations started to happen and they realised, you know, the depth, I guess, of my understanding and how much research I had done and I, was, I would, if they would ask, I would share information to them. Quite quickly, you know, my friends were just asking more and more questions and, you know, most of them, I'd say all of them, they're not, they're not all vegan, but all of them have changed the way that they yeah, look yeah. their food yeah, yeah. and they're eating more plants. You know? so, so was there one defining moment? Because you're talking about this, this, this habit of, you know, go, going to the, the waitress and hiding and then you just came out of a closet, so to speak. For one of a better experience, for one of a better Again, I don't, I don't think it was like one. Well, it wasn't one thing. It was just gradual. Thing, but, uh, you know, my girlfriend and I would invite friends over for dinner and we'd cook for them and, yep. and we would only cook plant-based foods right. and then that would start conversations. Got it wasn't it. like I got on the microphone and spoke to a hundred people at once and said, mm. guys, there's been a change. Yeah. Um, it was, it was slowly. And uh, you know, you know what friendship groups are like, yeah, yeah. you you, yeah, you know, with two or three people and then they tell everyone yeah, yeah. and it, it just filtered out there. And it obviously it got to a stage where everyone was asking me a lot of questions which ended up prompting why Plant Proof started. So when did it start? It was only 10 months ago. Was that 10 yeah. or was it, was it, um, was it earlier this year? So. Or was it a little bit early before yeah, that? I, I, I'd been doing my master's in nutrition. Yep. And as I was saying before, like, you know, for a long time there, I was getting a lot of questions asked by, by friends and, and whatnot. And people had, had said to me, you know, bits and pieces here and that you should put things, you should put some of this information online. Right. And I was kind of like reading like a lot of the sort of the myths and the common questions and I and I, and I I started to think, well, you know what, I, I could actually, I, I know how to set up a website and mm. it takes me a couple of weeks. This I, is all the stuff, the, doing the branding, all, yeah, the, all the years the of branding. Of like, you know, like all this stuff that it looks fancy and I know listeners look at it, Wow, that yeah. must be expensive, and you know, look at all the resources Simon must have. Right. It's, it's kind of smoke and mirrors of it, isn't it? it? Anyone can do this. You mm-hmm. know, we spoke about it before. Mm-hmm. You you can work a, a nine to five at your local audio shop, JB Hi Fi, or, or at a, a cafe, mm-hmm. and at nighttime do what I've done. Mm-hmm. It's not 
it hasn't been driven by money. No. It's it's not I haven't done anything that's been super expensive. No. I've I've channeled a passion and I do understand branding, right? But the but the first thing that, that came, I think is an important point, is the passion, finding something where you feel naturally inspired, right? Finding that thing where you, you, you for each and every one of it, it feels to me that we all have something that we're, that we're inspired by or passionate about. And if you lock onto that thing, then the corollary is you can, you can find the means, the way, correct? Yes. So, so what it didn't, it didn't cost so, much. So it didn't cost much. And fr- so friends were coming to me asking me questions. I'd give them answers and I would see that it would make changes to their plate and they'd be texting me all week and like mm. sending me photos of their food. And mm. what I was saying to them was inspiring them to be healthier. Right. And I started to, that, that drove the passion. I was like, wow. It's, it's so, it was, so it was organic. It was organic. I was, it was like, an organic I was thing, like, right? I never set, set out to set up plant proof for any other reason than I saw that little bits of information were having a huge impact on friends and people that I would know at right. the gym, whatnot. And, and, and then also it would be challenging if you've got these friends that are constantly sending you photos and yeah. even it would be, be time-consuming. Time-consuming. So, so this is a, a yeah. platform where you could – for one of a better expression, I was going to say, yeah, I'd be cool. lying yeah, yeah. if I didn't right. say that mm-hmm. this. It was it was in the same questions all the time. Yeah. So okay, what's the best way to deal with the same questions every time? Mm-hmm. Set up a website with a blog, frequently asked frequently questions, asked questions, right. and have some links that mm-hmm. can be shared. Mm-hmm. And I've I've always I've set up a lot of brands, and you know, understand social media. I understand search engine marketing. Mm-hmm. I understand the intricacies of building a brand and using an e-commerce from an e-commerce angle, but yep. I've never done a personal mm-hmm. based sort of profile or brand on social media. And mm-hmm. I've never been one to share a whole lot of myself right. on social media. Mm-hmm. I you, you're oddly you're quite introverted in, yeah. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, I mean, you look kind of extroverted, but you're actually not. I'm probably, is that fair to yeah, say? I would say. You've got to err toward being more of an introvert, which seems like an oxymoron. And I love, yeah, I love time by myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I had trepidation, mm-hmm. a bit of fear in terms of do I want to put myself out there on social media? Mm-hmm. And I think the earlier this year, like you said, I started after, after New Year's Eve, as very, very classe, it's very cliche, I started to think about, putting information online. Mm-hmm. And I think what got me over the edge uh, and over the line to actually start the profile and put information on there and start sharing it was that I could see the, the effect that it was having on people. So I knew the true purpose was not for attention for me. Mm-hmm. The true purpose was for genuine information that was free of any agenda, not yeah. selling anything mm-hmm. could impact someone. And very quickly, I I was getting messages from people that were inspired to make changes, yeah, yeah. and that inspiration was inspiring me. And so it's kind of you were inspired by your audience in a way. Like you were witnessing it was like a self it was a loop, a positive they, they loop think of, that I'm inspiring them, right? But in reality, all of their messages, all of the reviews of the podcast. Everything that's coming back is inspiring, inspiring you, me, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a positive loop. It's a positive loop, and it's 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 making me want to lo- learn more, so yep. I can share more. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's making me want to get more guests on the show, like yep. you, who have life, 
a lifetime of experience in yep. different areas. I know that I don't know everything and I never yeah. will. Yeah. So that's what the podcast is about. That's great. Let's get people on the show who can further inspire change in the community, change in me. Again, positive loop. So, yeah, that's, you know, I, I set it up earlier this year and, as I said, I quickly saw that there was people out there that wanted, that were resonating with the message and wanted to, to connect. But it, it looks like from, from the outside looking in, it looks like, oh, it's like, it's like a huge machine here. But I guess what I'm hearing you say is that it actually, what, what are we talking about, a social media account, an in Instagram. You've got photographs and, and, and the designs of the plant proof. We talked about this yeah, on, on the way over in the car. That it, it's, it's not the, it's not a huge financial. It, it's not a huge financial outlet. No, no. And, and and that's why I said that anyone can do it. And I hope that there's people out there that are, have been inspired, and whether it's plant based or they've been inspired about plastic or they've been inspired about animal, yes. whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever it is, to realize that okay, just because Simon has had success in business, that is not what has enabled this. No. This is completely separate. Right. He's, he's found a passion mm -hmm. and and I have I have dedicated a lot of time and a lot of energy into, no doubt, into the what's on social media and what's on the podcast, but it's been enriching. So it's been, it hasn't, it's not a hard, it hasn't been a hard process. It's been a fun process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there, I don't like the word strategy because strategy is it connotes manipulation, it, yeah, designing. It's like, yeah, yeah. It sounds like it's very brand focused or, or sales focused. But obviously through the last ten years I've I've developed a strategic mind in terms of understanding, I guess, themes and 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 more so the type of content that I'm putting out mm -hmm. onto onto Instagram, understanding that everything Everything, no matter what it is, yeah. has to be adding value to the community, right. and that's that's, that's possible. how it's grown. Mm -hmm. So, what would you what would your advice be to listeners out there that have an inspired idea? Yeah, that they're on the fence with an idea. Maybe they've got a full time job to take that idea and 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 broadcast it. Well, I know that what, what I've been doing. I have this kind of push pull where I'm, I'm, I've been completing this book I've been writing, but there, there is there's kind of a little apprehension about stepping out and, and, and stepping up and, and potentially putting yourself kind of in, in the spotlight, but not really wanting that, but knowing that that's the only way you can get your message out there is by kind of stepping into that and, and potentially kind of making yourself a, a target for negativity or criticism and, and that type of thing. It's, it is scary. But if yeah. you're true to your message, if you mm -hmm. know, if you, first of all, I think you need to be very sure in your message. Yeah. And if you know that your message is, is going to add value, coming back to adding value, yeah, you're always going to have someone out there who doesn't resonate with your message. Mm -hmm. But if you know that overall you've, you're adding value to to the the, the mass part of your community, mm -hmm. then I think that's enough to overcome the fear and to not let any negatives that come along the way to to sort of dampen your, your voice, enthusiasm. your enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah. And this is the way the world works with everyone having their own opinion. Yeah, and yeah. social media, it can be very scary and it 
it's it's instant so you can get instant feedback from it. it's yes. scary that's yeah, scary yeah. and i mean what's, what's scary about that instant feedback what what give us an example well you can put your heart and soul into something and and put it online into the public domain and have have people judging casting judgment on you as mm-hmm. a person and yeah. questioning your morals and your beliefs system and i think if you don't have a, a level of internal strength yeah and and you're not really strong from strong in your own character strong in your sense, own character, character sense you, of you self yeah, to, yeah. They, they say the again it's not the greatest way of describing this but they say you need to own your message yeah i think you you need before you go out and put yourself online there's a degree of self-discovery that needs yeah. to happen particularly yeah. if you're going to be a, a public figure yeah and then i would say you know making sure that whatever you're doing and, and selling products and making money that's completely fine but always having mm. some greater purpose of what you're doing that that, that connects to the whole connects to, to to what you're coming back to is 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 helping the world value value add helping society helping the community and if you can do that it's going to be received better but it's also going to be far more fulfilling yeah you know, on a daily basis, mm-hmm. you're going to going back to passion. You're going to be more passionate mm-hmm. about it, and it's going to come through. That comes through. I think so. The, 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 the you're taking that time to get in tune with what you organically and naturally feel inspired to do, and it's the the inspiration that's doing the work for you. It's aligning yourself with inspiration, right? And and then whatever comes forth from that from that place. It's, it's positive. It's authentic. You're in integrity. It, it's true. It's fine. I think, I think it's finding that thing that's true for you. Right. And, and then, and then going forth and that's and the starting point. Right. Yeah. And, starting and you know, point, yeah. you can't look at someone else and say, I'd like to emulate that and reverse engineer because the formula. It's not a formula, is it? No. If you look at someone else and you say, I want to emulate that, that it yeah. won't be long till your community understand it's not an authentic message. Yeah. That's right. So you've got to, You've got find, to you have to find you have to find that thing for you. Correct, and mm-hmm. that's good. That's self discovery, which doesn't happen overnight. You know, it may for some people, but you know, for me, it was. So where are we going with this? So we've got so we've got um, plant proof where it is at the moment, and I've, you just showed me a little bit through uh, this kind of office set up here, and I see a big kitchen. What's the future hold? What's the next six months, twelve months hold? What are the what are the plans? You've you've done what? This is the fiftieth podcast. This will be yeah number fifty, right? Yeah. So what, what's the next four months look like? For example, I think I'll continue on with the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's it's a great way for me to have conversations that I would love to just have anyway me, without anyway it being recorded. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and then you know the, this technology, this app, the podcast hosting system allows you to disperse it to people around the world who listen to it while they're riding the bike or in the car and it's a great easy format for people to consume yeah so the podcast i think will continue will the podcast stay the same i nothing stays i don't think it will no i think that right now in terms of audio content we are at very very beginning Mm -hmm. and in the next five years there's going to be a flood of new podcasts coming on and i think the very best podcasts will be the ones that adapt and take the audio experience to a new level so i'm looking what does that look like i'm not not a hundred percent sure but mm. i'm going to experiment with a few things yeah. between podcast 50 and podcast 100 yeah and 
and, and to see, you know, do, do people engage with the content better or are they getting more out of it? Mm-hmm. Whether that means having more than one guest on, changing the format of the show. Right. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Recording parts with a bit more video footage, things like that. Mm-hmm. And, the, yeah, the kitchen you alluded to is another channel that I want to explore. Yep. And that's... Explore. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's, I guess, a channel which allows allows me to break down recipes and things like that, mm-hmm. and show people how simple it is. And how people, how will people watch that? How do you? Was it, was so it YouTube or? I'll, I'll be concentrating. I mean, there will be YouTube, but I'm going to do a lot of vertical mm-hmm. content, mm-hmm. so it can be consumed vertically on your phone through Instagram TV. Yeah. So there'll be. Will it be a price that free? Or? It'll be free. Okay. Yeah. So all all of that content will be free. Mm-hmm. I am I am writing a book. Yeah. Which I haven't I haven't spoken of before, mm-hmm. and that's with publisher called Penguin. Yep. That will be sold globally. Now I am denied on on writing a book. Yeah. I I actually didn't accept a writing fee from them. To, uh, uh, you know, an upfront writing fee. Deliberately. Deliberately. So. Because I was writing a book anyway, yeah. And th- I'm not writing a book. Anyone who who writes books understands that it's not about so much about making the money writing a book, mm-hmm. particularly if you're publishing with someone else. Commissions aren't that that great, but it's it's more so the the opportunity to reach other people with this message yeah. who who aren't you know necessarily on technology, yeah, on on podcasts or phone, yeah, and. You know, the book will be available globally. Mm-hmm. So that's that's going to be a fun project. Yeah. Does it, does it have a name, a title, the book? Well, I mean, naturally I think Plant Proof will be somewhere uh-huh. in that title. Okay, yeah. Whether, whether it will have a subtitle which is specific to this sort of is it going to have, oh, it's going to have recipes? You're, so there's a, bit yeah, of a story inf- about your oh, life? There's, or there's inf- it, no, there's, there's information mm-hmm. and, and there's, there's also recipes. Mm-hmm. So it'll be something just to help people people sort of get going with a plant-based Beautiful. lifestyle. So before we bring the, the session to a close, is there anything else you think we've, we kind of haven't touched on that you'd like your listeners to know about you or something you'd like to say to them? I know you said you you felt very inspired by what, what they're doing and is there anything else, is there anything we've missed out? I think I'm, I'm not, I'm not think sure. we've covered everything and I yeah. like that we haven't, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've, I've done a lot in business and I, mm-hmm. I, I kind of like that we haven't gone too deep into that mm-hmm. because it's it doesn't matter does it? it doesn't matter no. you know back to the fact that what i'm doing with plant proof mm-hmm. is something that anyone can do with their message mm-hmm. and i think that's the, the it sounds like you what you want to talk about if you've got a good message out there. And, and you have a great message to share yeah. and you're inspired by it then don't hold back. Get out there with him. Is that is that what get I'm hearing? Yeah, and start tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Start tomorrow. Get out there. Figure out what what is your true passion, mm-hmm. and work out how you can serve other people. Because I can tell you that from my experience, serving other people mm-hmm. is is far far more enriching than just concentrating on making money. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? There's that. Um Feel that inner feeling that we get if we do it, do an act of, of of love or kindness or friendliness, that it's kind of the universe's way. That good feeling that we get inside, without sounding too hocus pocus, is it's the universe's way of saying keep moving in that direction, keep doing more of that. 
It's one of your steps, right? Yeah, it is one of the steps. The random, yeah, the random, random act. Actually, well, it's not one of mine. I haven't, I haven't. Uh, have you have you done a random act of kindness today? I'm not sure. Does this constitute a random not, act of kindness? Being on the show, yeah, no, I don't know. This isn't too no, I did. I got you a double shot express. Oh, you did. I did. You did. So that's at least one. And that was greatly received, greatly appreciated. So I'm, it's been great. I've really enjoyed <laughs> you inviting me to interview. I learned a lot. I didn't know you were American. Didn't actually know you spent 11 years there. Yes, I did. Yeah, and yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you very much. And I'm looking forward to getting you back on to talk about, is it the spiritual entrepreneur? What is the enlightened entrepreneur? The enlightened Mm -hmm. entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. which is your new book coming out. Yep. What, in the next? Probably a few months. I've got to completely complete the the edit on it. And, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've been... Privileged, I guess, to to hear bits and pieces along the way over the last couple of years. Yeah, writing yeah. it and it takes a long time. Yes, <laughs> writing books too long it certainly does. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm super super pumped to get you back on the show. Just yeah, to yeah. walk through those steps. Yeah, yeah. And um, I know the listeners will find that super, super yeah. beneficial. In essence, you know, twelve habits you practice. Probably some of them you're already doing that generate inner happiness and fulfillment. That's got nothing to do with what's happening in the world in front of your eyes. So it's like a permanent, permanent happiness. And then the studies show that the happier we are uh, internally, that the corollary is that you attract whatever you desire uh, faster. Fascinating. But the irony is that once you, uh, 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 once you get the thing that you thought you wanted, it doesn't really matter if you're already uh, happy on the inside. So we'll talk more. I can talk for hours about that. Can't I won't, do, I won't do that now. <laughs> All right, forward to lunch. Let's go. Okay, cheers. So that's it, friends. A little bit of a different episode to previous ones, but nonetheless, I hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to thank Will for taking the time to play the host role today and doing such an incredible job. Really looking forward to having him back on the show to share his story and tell us all about the new book that he is soon to release. The conversation you just listened to was candid, unedited, unscripted, and how Will and I sit down and chat with one another when we hang out. And that's exactly how I wanted it. From my end though, there are a few little things I'd like to add to provide some extra context, extra depth to my decision to start Plant Proof. When I was 15, my father had a heart attack. It was only him and I at home, and he had been having some chest pains earlier that day while we were out exploring wineries in the Yarra Valley in Victoria with the roof down on his vintage MGB. By about 1am, I heard him in the kitchen and went out. He said he thought he was having a heart attack and the ambulance was on the way. Everything was happening so fast. Ambulance turned up, helicopter turned up, and before I knew it, he was being flown out to the nearest hospital and I was left in the house with the ambulance staff pretty wild and confronting situation for anyone, particularly a kid. My dad ended up being okay, but I remember my brother and I being told, I believe by doctors, that heart disease ran in our family and we should get some checks. There was no mention about diet. Naturally, as I started to read the science and learned that often diseases run in families because they eat the same thing, I was shocked that all those years ago, my brother and I, and my dad, 
we're not giving advice about the role that foods play in reversing and preventing Australia's number one killer, cardiovascular disease. So now I think about the 15-year-old kid today whose mother or father has heart disease or even whose parents are perfectly healthy now. And I think about the small chance that they may see Plant Proof on social media, find the website or listen to this podcast and perhaps make changes faster than my family and many other families have. Secondly, I wanted to touch on my diet as a child and really reiterate that the fact I ate a lot of animal-based meals, and I think many of you can probably relate to this, was not my parents' fault. It was just the era that I was born into, the era that my brother was born into, and perhaps many of you too. An era where companies with so much to gain made sure that you and I were so distracted by their clever marketing that we would never wonder where our food came from, whether it was highly processed or from an animal, and what impact it was having on our body and other sentient beings. I love my family very much and cannot thank them enough for the example they've set and the opportunities that they've given me and helped me pursue. If it wasn't for their guidance, I perhaps would have never landed in this place, this place where I am today, a place where I know right from wrong and feel so incredibly fulfilled by serving others and spreading a message about true health and compassion. The other important message which is timely given we are just starting a new year, is about starting something that you believe has great purpose. The hardest bit is actually starting, making yourself a little vulnerable and just diving into it. Whatever it is that you want to do, I encourage you to put the procrastination to the side. Stop telling yourself every reason you shouldn't do it and start telling yourself every reason you should. Start tomorrow. It doesn't matter what it is that you want to do, but if it's purpose-driven, it will provide you with greater fulfillment probably than anything else you have ever done. I know it has for me, and it would have been very easy to talk myself out of starting Plant Proof earlier this year. I had done that previously, So on that note, I would like to take the opportunity to thank you all from the bottom of my heart for joining me on these first 50 episodes. Thank you for joining me on social media and thank you for inspiring me with all of your own posts and thought-provoking comments and messages. I wish you a very happy and inspired 2019 and I look forward to continue to share this journey together. See you in episode 51. Until then, friends.